0: This is Irina and you're listening to the Upside Out podcast where we talk with entrepreneurs, artists, athletes, chefs and other inspiring leaders on how to face adversity, how to build resilience and how to strive for a better future. COVID-19 has brought a lot of disruptions to our lives and our economy. It has had huge impacts on supply chains and brought massive challenges for companies that rely on global resources. That means that many companies had to slow down production, rethink their supply chains, turn towards local providers, or completely pivot their businesses. Like many industries, the mobility industry has been heavily impacted by the pandemic. The isolation measures have not made it easy for shared mobility companies. Next to the movement restrictions that prevented people from needing transportation on a scale as before, the behavioral changes that the virus has brought with itself have also impacted the potential future of mobility. As people are afraid to get infected, sharing vehicles has shown not to be the desired choice. One company that offers a potentially more favorable alternative is UNO, a Berlin-based company offering a battery-powered smart electric scooter that you can basically charge from anywhere and you can lease on a monthly basis. Matthew, the co-founder and COO of UNU, has been resiliently redefining his company's new direction. And together with his team, they've been implementing new innovative ways on how to embrace the new normal and build collectively a better future for the mobility industry. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I'm sitting here with uh, one of the co-founders of UNU, Matthew. And they have an amazing company. Uh, They built Electric scooters, like smarter electric scooters, that you can practically charge from anywhere. Um, but I'll let you, Matthew, introduce it a bit better than me and give us a bit of an overview of what you guys are building and uh, what your vision is.
1: Sure. Thank you for for having me. I'm super happy for participating to to your podcast, Irina. Uh, so at Uno, we we're, we're a company based in in Berlin, uh, operating at this stage in um, in four countries in Austria, France, and the Netherlands on top of uh, Germany. We're building a mobility product. Um, Today our main product is an electric scooter, Um, but we started the company with uh, with a broader vision to actually create the best urban mobility solution to connect people with their city. So we're big city lovers. We love what the city has to offer, Uh, all these opportunities that are happening in the city, and and we want to foster this, this city life, connect people, connect places, uh, and build the right product for that. Um, and basically, we we looked at this uh, at this space, at this mobility space, and we truly believe that three mega trends, um, which are electric mobility, mobility as a service, and autonomous driving, will um, completely disrupt the way the city look in the future and the way people move in those cities. And as a company, we decided to go one one step at a time, one trend at a time and first address the electric mobility trend by building the best electric scooter we could, um, that is easy to use, that is good looking, that is, uh, fun to ride and, and affordable, um, to purchase. And, and, and on the other hand, um, right after we've been starting, working on the, on the second mega, mega trend, which is mobility as a service. And, uh, since two years, we, we're working in a very exciting new product of a, connected electric scooter. So basically an end uh, experience through digitalization around your scooter and it's amazing product that is both meant for private user and for the sharing use case uh, will hit the market this year uh, and we're super excited.
0: Beautiful. So can you maybe go a bit uh, further back to the beginnings of Uno? and uh, tell me a bit more how you actually got into got so passionate about mobility itself um, and how did you end up deciding to go towards entrepreneurship
1: that's a great question so I've, i have to go back indeed like um uh, because we it's about eight years ago actually so i was still um finishing my my studies so i originally studied in, uh, in france at the in south lyon which is an engineering uh, engineering university uh, I'm a double E, so I studied electrical engineering. Um, but I've been constantly, while I was sitting on the on, on the bench of the university, uh, was questioning. Uh, while I was listening about technology, I was always thinking more from a product standpoint. Like, what can we do with it? Like, why am I learning this? It's it's not enough. Like, I had the feeling that ninety percent of my colleagues that were with me at the university were simply satisfied of of learning the technology. But I was always constantly thinking about the business part of it, like what can we do with that technology, or can I leverage that to do something? And I've been, um, I've been like playing with thoughts during my old university time of like um, and trying to find um, some form of a of a balance of like this technology overload that I that I was receiving, and 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 try to find a way to 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 connect a little bit with with the business world. Um, and I, I did that in two ways. So on one, when I I participate in to we have in, in France what we call the Junior Enterprises, which are basically a consulting firm run by students, where we were basically um, selling um, engineering services from the engineering student of the university to to corporate, to companies for, for lower rates. I've um, been running uh, one of these for, for, for my university. Uh, and then also started very early on to, to work on on my own um projects and, and try to, to bring a few people together from from the university to work on certain projects. At this stage there was no mobility. Um that was also the the, the beginning of uh um you know like eight years ago we were in the middle of like social media and and, and online platform and, and, and so on. So I first started to, to work in those areas with a few projects. None of them uh went to life um, it all it all died before it even uh, hit the market uh, for various reasons at this stage and then I decided to um, move to Germany so I went to, to Munich for my last uh, my last semester of, of university just before I graduated uh, and I, and I don't want, even want to stop thinking about what would have been my life if uh, I wouldn't have done that because basically six months after I would have graduated and I would have probably taken on a, a job in, in France somewhere. Maybe start something, but um not necessarily what I've been doing now. And arriving to Germany, um, this is where basically by being out of the comfort zone, not knowing the language, uh, having to put myself in difficult situation to connect with a bunch of new people and so on, this is where basically the, the whole snowball effect started. And I've been uh, trying to connect in that startup scene in, in Munich, um, connecting with a lot of folks there, um, starting here and there as well, continue working or, or starting a few projects up to the moment where in the startup event, actually, um, I got to know Pascal and Elias that are then, uh, then they will become my, my co-founders for UNU. Uh, the two of them were Coming back from Asia, um, they were—they have been already lying down the first foot and, and the first steps toward building an electric scooter company, building a mobility company. Um, we got in touch there, we became friends, uh, and I realized that uh, I can really identify with that vision, and we basically built up the, this company together. And now we're seven years later, um, yeah, the company has grown a bit, we already have a Successful product on the market. We have 115 employees here in Berlin um, and uh, this is just the beginning.
0: So what were your first days like? I mean it's not so straightforward as building an online business because for that you don't really need uh, many resources. You can just go online and uh, put up a site and not invest enough. So how did you guys uh, sort of kick-started all of this in the first days of building Unu?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you will you will hear me many times saying "hardware is hard." This is a common sentence that we hear in the in the startup industry, uh, and I can only I can only agree with that. Um, building building a vehicle from scratch is is not an easy game, and you need um, you need knowledge, you need capabilities, and you need capital to make that happen. Uh, all of these things we didn't have. Uh, all of us we really were. Uh, coming fresh out of university uh, and we had to find an alternative way or more clever way to go around and that that was basically what what i think define unu and especially unu in the early days of the detour and finding a smart way uh, towards our objectives um, and so basically what well, that was clear that we need some form of funding so very early on we managed to um, to, to convince a, a business angel from, from Munich to give us some capital um, in exchange of us proving that with that money, we're able to build a prototype of the product that, that, that we intend to build. So we managed to, to, to secure very early, early on. And this uh, this business angel is still invested in in our company now seven years ago and, and have been uh, participating to further around the, uh, along the adventure. And, and we're very, very thankful for that. Um but basically we exactly we we got this this help, this financial help from the beginning on um that allowed us to 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 start working on a prototype because you need money for that as well uh, and on the other hand, our approach was to say okay, if we start from the blank page and we start um designing everything from scratch with the little knowledge that we have and that there is no way that we make that happen with the money that we have and the time that we have. The time was a very, good component, a very important component at this stage. There were, there were not a lot of competition and actually we were doing and starting really something new, but still we were in that, in that stage and I really recommend everyone to, to keep with that mindset. Um, we were very like, um, influenced by this lean startup approach and um, very focused on we need to optimize the time to market and we need to bring something on the market as soon as possible in order to validate and in order to receive feedback, in order to iterate. Um, And this is basically why we decided to not start from scratch, but actually look for a base that we can build our product around. And so we went back to to China at this stage um, and basically start sourcing a vehicle, um, a chassis of a vehicle that we could build our product around and we found one. And then do we completely dismantle it And then starting rebuilding a product like a puzzle, more um, switching parts after parts and integrating new parts to make it a new product. And where we put the most um, engineering into is then basically on the major things that were an innovation, which was this portable battery concept where you can basically take the battery out and charge it at every socket. There was no electric scooter having this function before. And this is where we, we co developed with our supplier a completely new system. But the rest of the vehicle, are mainly parts that we sourced, integrated, and and build up together. Because if we would have designed them from scratch, we would have then have to to, to pay toolings. We would have like have to to put a, a few millions on the table already. And these are things that we couldn't have done. And for the first for the first product for the first validation, it wouldn't have been necessary either.
0: So, was that the first scooter that you practically put together from existing parts? That was the first model that you convinced then the first investors to put in their money?
1: That's correct. That's correct.
0: That's really exciting. It's also an alternative way of thinking because usually, when uh, people think of new hardware innovations, you go full on into building something, and this way, you go quite faster to convince something. It's really a nice approach.
1: Uh, absolutely, and, and and I think and um highly recommend everyone. And and we also try to remind that ourselves now that we are also a little bit of a, of a bigger company. Uh, it, there is always this this trap. There is two two big traps in uh, in in hardware. Um, there there is a trap of building a product that nobody wants, and that nobody and that is not solving a problem. So and and turning that into a, a a science gig instead of building a real product for real users that have a real problem to solve that's the first thing you should be deadly focused on all the time that the the reason why we, we, you're taking certain choices and the reason why you're building that product to make sure that you're serving the the purpose of the user and uh, and, and the second thing uh is that you you should be very careful on not taking too big leaps um, and actually try to go incremental. Um, this is very common knowledge that this is very difficult to to go with the full agile mindset into hardware development. You cannot break down your your hardware development in 2 weeks sprints, and then after two weeks completely pivot. This is absolutely unrealistic. However, you don't have to take a three-year leap either. You have to find a way to to break that down and, and to scope your product and have these checkpoints where you validate um, with your user that what you're doing is the right it's the right thing in the right direction in order to limit the risk behind it.
0: So you, your scooters have this uh, quite social feature around that. It's not just a basic scooter, right? I mean, the battery is quite the innovation that you guys implemented, but it's a smart scooter as well. So you're implementing a very yeah. uh, digital technology behind it. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about that and where where are you uh sort of innovating further where do you see it evolving
1: yeah absolutely so this is a a realization that we had a a couple of years ago already to say that the scooter itself is a great product to move around the city uh, and this is why we choose that category it's easy to use it's easy to park it's easy to maintain it's affordable um, But it's also, at some point, we, we're not the only one in the world building scooters. There are old companies building scooters. There are newcomers building scooters. So this is, this is not the way we will differentiate. Like, of course, design plays a huge role. A few key elements of the scooter plays a huge role. But at some point, this is all kind of the same. Everyone has a chassis with two wheels, some plastic around this, uh, a seat. And, and, and basically, it doesn't make a, a lot of difference. What makes a lot of difference is if you go closer to the needs of the user and you really understand uh, why this person is, is using your product, why this person is, is willing to purchase your product. And here, the, the closer we go towards the, the deepest need of our users, which is basically uh, going, uh, being mobile and, and, and going from A to B, uh, getting direction through the city, getting context out of the city, and understand where they are, or be able to interact with their city or their or their or their friends and and so on. Um, this is where basically digital medium um, takes a lot of 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 place and have a have a strong impact on the experience we're providing around that mobility. And so this is why it was clear for us that while we are the 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 visible part of the iceberg at this stage is our scooter our hardware product the vehicle itself it's super important that we uh, develop capabilities uh, and build up the technology stack um, around that product that include of course uh, telemetrics and iot and cloud but also uh digital interfaces for the user to be able to interact with that product be uh, an application, a mobile app, or the dis- the digital display that we have on the scooter itself, or either um like like fleet management software or other applications so by having this full ecosystem with front end applications where the user can interact with the mobility, all of that connected to the vehicle itself, this is the way we can create real experience through the city, and this is where um all these features that you were referring to play a huge role for us to connect with, with our community, with our users um, and ensure that we provide them the right experience and ensure that they stay with us also in the long run and not simply buy a scooter and then next year buy another one theoretically.
0: Can you tell me a bit more about uh, the dynamic between you and your co-founders? You guys have been on this for the past seven years and it's Quite uh, an intense journey to build up a company, and I assume there were uh, hardships, there was stress, there was anxiety. Um, and I've heard from a lot of founders that being uh, in that type of relationship sometimes it's even more intense than being in a normal, uh, you know, love relationship. Uh, so how do you guys go about it, and how do you make sure that the bond stays strong, and that you guys uh, sort of uh, yeah are on a, on good terms uh, after after seven years?
1: that's a that's a very good question um so one one thing we we need to uh, that that we realize and that we realized very early on is that the three of us were very very different uh and actually very complementary uh in a certain way which brings uh a lot of ups but also some some friction sometimes um but basically we we really had of a uh, very disruptive innovation and and business model thinking and strategic thinking on one hand a lot of creativity uh and a focus on on users and and empathy and the brand on the other end and in a third uh, corner which was very much in operational in the implementation and making things happen and out of this combination really um a, a certain dynamic came into play and what what has been and then, and then become, it becomes UNO, basically, and then it becomes the divisible part of the company with a, an innovative business model, uh, a great product, a great community, a great brand around, around our product. Uh, and all of that uh, implemented in a couple of years with little capabilities and, and little um, uh, access to, to capital and, and, and so on. So, um, so very, very positive dynamic that make that happen. I'm I'm not sure if if you're aware about that. Um, The the company as mentioned has has grown quite uh, quite drastically, especially uh, especially the last uh, one and a half year, uh, where we kind of like very rapidly came from uh, from about 50 people to now 115. So company doubled in size. Um, And also a couple of months ago, one one of our co-founder Elias um, decided actually to, to leave the company um so and and basically motivated by by the fact that um, the company has grown to a stage where his passion and the way he was working uh, was not necessarily uh, in line with his expectation anymore. Um, the company now needs structure, the company needs processes, the company needs a uh, more stable organization. Um, and, and Elias is a, is a passionate entrepreneur uh, that loves to solve problems um, with a lot of empathy for, for the users and, uh, and and is more inclined to work in a smaller environment, very disruptive, um, with a very close connection to uh, the rest of the team working around as well as the user uh, you're trying to solve a problem for. And um, now that the company has a little bit of um other focus and other challenges to, to cope with um he decided to, to leave the company but we leave the uh in, in good terms um and uh when it comes to the relationship then that I have with uh, with Pascal my other co-founder um as mentioned we've been always uh, quite complementary um and um yeah it's it's working well the communication is the most important thing uh Telling telling things, you know. But this is you were talking that you do the parallel with a, a relationship. I believe uh, this is the same thing in your private relationship or or in your professional relationship. Uh, open feedback, direct feedback is extremely important. Um, and yeah, starting by yourself, you know, saying when you say this, it make that to me. There is not the other one is not the problem. Most of the time, this is your reaction, your own reaction is the problem. So. Having the ability to uh, do your own intro, introspection and also um, uh, tell the people how you feel and, and how what they do or what they say uh, is impacting you is, is, is a difficult exercise. But this is uh, the fundamental and, and, uh, and basically a prerequisite for a long lasting relationship.
0: That's really true that it usually comes directly from us. And it's much easier when we ask why, why is that triggering myself? Uh, could there be something that's not related to the person that's actually doing it? So it's, it's really interesting to, to take that into a business context as well. Absolutely. Can you tell me a bit how right now the situation that we're in, the COVID situation is impacting your company? What are you guys going through right now?
1: So it's impacting the the company in in various layers and actually uh for us it's it's already uh, quite quite a long time that we are that we're dealing with covid um you know our our company i was mentioning earlier that we're operating in four countries in europe but actually we we are um operating from from a commercial standpoint in those four countries but we're operating more on a, on a global scale because uh, all our manufacturing activities are are in asia um and so the, the covid uh, crisis already started um earlier on i, w- I would say uh, since mid february we have been uh, feeling the the impact of of that crisis um first in in asia and then later on in europe um, so we we are from a from 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 a business standpoint um very much impacted where we had uh, completely production stops, uh, factory being closed, um, suppliers not able to to supply material for for a longer period of time. Um, and now in a, in our market here um, in Europe, and and I believe uh, Berlin is a very good example of that. Um, we need we, we see a, a rapid um, change in, in demand of mobility. If you take only Berlin, uh, all mean of transportation um to put together the demand of mobility have been reduced by 58% uh if not more in in Berlin at this stage all the sharing services that 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 were in place in that great city of berlin um being like ride ailing being uh, ride sharing car sharing and 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 kick scooter sharing all of these things are decreasing in demand between 80% and 100% um which which is crazy there is a uh, one big winner of the uh, COVID situation. This is the bike. Uh, people are biking more um, and, and, and this is this is a great thing. I, I totally support that. And I hope it will even uh, bring changes into infrastructure in the city and some form of a redistribution of the space. One that people realize that we uh, design cities around the car and that was not necessarily the the best choice and like uh, car lanes plus uh, lanes for parking the cars are just taking basically 80% of the available space uh, and that this is time to, to rethink that. This is time to redistribute the space uh, and to, to provide more, more space for people going by foot as well as going by bike or electric scooters. Um, this is my vision of the city. I think the, uh, the mobility space in the city will be very much impacted by this um, by this COVID crisis, uh, we see it short term with like a strong reduction in demand, but also a redistribution amongst the the different um, mobility modes basically and mobility means of transportation that are available. Um, not always on, only positive in the sense that in generally I was very um, supporting to 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 the sharing industry. And I also think that it will remain, but um, this this sanitary crisis put people to think twice before using a product that somebody else used, and therefore it will in a certain way reinforce individual mobility and individual ownership of of your vehicle, which is a little bit uh, counterintuitive or takes basically the opposite direction on how mobility was transforming until now with always more uh, Sharing scheme, either ride sharing or, um, or or fleet sharing, basically like different um, type of vehicles shared for for various users. Um, I think primarily people will seek for some form of, of security, of sanitary security, and therefore might reinforce the private ownership of of your vehicle, whatever the vehicle is. But in the meantime, I believe it will really spark a discussion about distribution of the public space in the city and not necessarily uh, letting the status quo going how it is and, and and leaving so much cars in the city when actually the other means of transportation again like like bike e-scooter or or foot um, could could play the the major role in the future.
0: I think that's very interesting uh, what you're mentioning about rethinking the design of the city because essentially uh, we've been operating like this for many, many years and not really thinking about the environment itself. And one, I, I don't know if I can say a good thing, but one thought process that is going through people's minds with uh, COVID is climate change. And I think that's such an important um, discussion to have when it comes to mobility because it's one of the main impactors of, of climate change itself.
1: That, that's for sure. Um, and actually, there there is a lot of similarity between what what we're experiencing um, uh, with COVID and and the, the various uh, thoughts that our government, our communities, and everyone have, have about uh, about at this stage um, similar enemy in a certain way that you that you don't see. It's not very tangible. Uh, What is this climate change? What is this COVID? Um, You you cannot see it, you cannot touch it, but it's there and it's impacting massively um, the way the way people live. And um, the only way to fight it is by changing our own behavior. And you see that by by COVID. I don't need to go into detail, but like a, a massive change in the way people behave um and, and especially for example, in terms of mobility um, has a direct impact uh on basically the numbers and and how um the the society is coping with with that pandemic. This is the same thing with climate change you know like with this um, strong reducing uh, of of emissions through mobility over a, a couple of weeks you've seen numbers how uh, the pollution level in all major cities have been drastically reduced, and suddenly uh, people are able to see the uh, to 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 see the blue sky kind of uh, when they they were not able to see it a couple of weeks ago um, so this shows that it it gives at at some point it gives me hope you know that there is some collective understanding or collective realization it definitely need a a support and, and a push from the politics, from um from the regulatory framework, um to, to support those changes. But I but I hope and I strongly believe in a in a collective understanding as well that this is possible to change things, this is possible to influence things. But it's only possible if everybody starts contributing and start changing their, their approach and changing their attitude.
0: What is your uh, strategy now moving forward from this pandemic? Did you change any ways of um, how you're going about things? I know your supply chain is highly impacted since a lot of it comes from Asia. So are you moving things back uh, uh, to Germany? Um, How are you going about it?
1: So first of all, before I talk about supply chain, uh, it's a more complex topic, I would say. uh, Here in in terms of our positioning in the market in in Europe um we've been um we have the chance let's say that we that we took that decision a couple of years ago to to say that we will build a product that can on one hand uh support the the, the direct to consumer business so the the ownership of a scooter what we've been doing until now and on the other hand um uh be sold to sharing operators for um ensuring like uh, great mobility services uh, into our cities in europe and um out of this situation we, we in this let's say comfortable situation where we could uh, basically adapt now how the market changed. and if people end up not using sharing so much in the future but rather go back to ownership and having their own vehicle uh then then we're there and we have a product for them if on the other hand sharing continue to grow and 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 kicks in even more in many more cities uh we have a product for for that as well so we have this this form of of uh, yeah like uh, ability to to adapt to the mobility market uh turning in in europe and um, which is a great thing um when it come back to come back to the supply chain part um uh, supply chain of a vehicle is is complex um there's a lot of parts that a lot of suppliers um there are complex um operations to build up a product like this together um so it's not that straightforward and that easy to change it without having an impact or a certain inertia in your ability to to manufacture um but from an or- a general orientation standpoint we would love to be able to to produce that product closer from our market this has, uh, a lot of benefits if we could produce this product in europe at this stage um, we've been running those analysis a lot of time and the reason why we, we're not doing it at this stage is mainly driven by um by operational risk because most of the part that we need to buy this to build this scooter, uh, are actually only available in, in asia and even if we would then uh, put the final assembly in europe we would then need to constantly bring parts uh from Asia to our factory in Europe, and that would bring a lot of uh, a lot of operational risk of not having the parts you need on time and and basically not being able to produce the product um and um this is something still we will investigate, and we're constantly looking at it um but at this stage this is very difficult to 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 organize for for us even if um from the uh, yeah, from from an economical standpoint in, in the sense of like offering shorter delivery time to our users as well as from a, a social and environmental responsibility standpoint, we would love to be uh building the product closer to, to our users and, and not having to transport them um throughout the globe. Um but um yeah we we we, we take that very seriously. We look at this uh, uh most so if if we can find way to to do that to to, to move things uh closer to to europe um the covid forces you to to have this reflection it uh, doesn't mean necessarily that's easy to implement um and in the meantime we we're taking other measures um of uh, carbon offsetting of all our operations um to have a, a, a positive impact on um on the environment basically even if we have to manufacture at this stage in Asia.
0: Can you tell me a bit how it works right now in terms of um, from building the scooters I suppose but also your team because right now everybody is working from home uh, nobody is allowed really to be in the office and since you're building a physical product uh, I, I assume it's uh, very difficult to to have everybody uh, be completely uh, remote and okay so h- how is the dynamic now in the team and uh, in the performance itself
1: so that's for sure a challenge but uh, I've, I've been saying that as well to, to the team since the first weeks we started to work remote i'm so amazed how dedicated and how creative everyone has been to to make that happen and to continue to ensure that we can continue to work and to, to reach our milestone and organize ourselves. Um, so basically, more than 80% of the team is, is working remote uh, completely from, from their home. And the few people um, that we have a few engineers that needs to be working on the material, as you say, and it was not that easy to transport that to, to, to their home. Um, we actually uh, grant the, the access to the office to those people uh, and basically, every single engineer has, has uh, a room for it, for himself or herself. So basically, we we ensure but by everyone staying at home uh, very early on, we ensure that we could kind of redistribute the space for the one who needed it very much. Um, and basically, we have a, a couple of engineers working still from the office, but everyone has his own room, um, and there is uh, therefore no sanitary risk. We've been taking all measures needed to, to make that happen. Uh, the second thing we've been doing, we've been, uh, rapidly, uh, rapidly in investing in developing some form of, of development kit. So basically a, a, a scooter in a miniature of the scooter that you can put on a desk, uh, especially for the electronic development, um, part of things where, uh, there's all things that, that we didn't have in the past and, didn't have need for because basically um our engineers could simply continue to program and develop directly on the scooters with having a a direct physical scooter next to you to their desk Um, but uh, to react to that uh, home office situation we're also uh, right now building some form of little portable scooter that you put on your desk and you can program a little bit uh, similar to to those um yeah, hacking board like Arduino and so on that you could use to to build some hacks at home. Uh, now you could put a little scooter on your desk and and program it. That's one of the things we're doing.
0: That's so fun! I would love to have it just to play around at home, regardless of being part of your team or not. <laughs> could be in your shop as a I hope at some. Point, I
1: hope at some. I hope at some point we will uh, we will have this uh, this product on the market that we. That we can um, yeah open some some form of open API and and let other developers uh, interact with it and and see what we can um, build for for great experience around that product definitely something we we will look into at, uh, when the development is ready
0: that's such a great idea uh, I'm also wondering because Berlin. Well, Germany itself is starting to slowly loosen up um, the the sort of strong uh, regulations around social distancing. So some companies are going back to the office uh, next week or the week after. Um, How are you guys transitioning? Are you going completely back to the way it was? Are you implementing some new changes uh, with what you've learned from uh, working remote? Uh, How are you going about it?
1: So the the first thing is... um uh, at UNU we won't ask uh, everyone to to come back to the office um, so so that quickly. I we of course like uh, listening to the development of the regulatory framework and and how things are developing, but we don't see uh, a need for for rushing back to the office. Uh, the company has found uh, a very interesting way to to work like this remote, and and uh, we we could really say that through the dedication and the creativity of our team members. Um, basically, the, the, the company is working very well, also in that setup. And of course, uh, we, we're more missing the, the human contact, the social link, and see each other because we enjoy seeing each other. But from a pure efficient um, efficiency standpoint and, and ability to work remote, uh, things are working well um, in that setup. Um, do we... Are we going to go back to normal? Um, I don't think so. I think this is not possible. Um, I think there will be an after COVID in a certain way, but for us it doesn't necessarily mean so much changes because at UNO even before COVID we had um, very open policy when it comes to remote working. Uh, we value output, not input. We value that the work is done and that people deliver and people connect with each other and collaborate, Uh, that's what we value. We don't value that people are are sitting from uh, a certain hour to another on a chair uh, in the office. That was not our company culture. And therefore we already had a a very open uh, remote work policy where basically um, under the the approval of your supervisor, you could do remote working anytime, anywhere, when you want, just need some form of approval to ensure that uh, it's not disrupting the collaboration or certain crucial meetings that, that you need to participate in. Um, but basically the, on, the main difference is that we, I think it takes a lot of fear around collaboration out. Like uh, even if we had those those policies in place, I believe some people were more inclined to, to, to work remote than others. Um, some, uh, supervisors or managers uh, were also more inclined to let that happen than others with a certain fear in losing efficiency, in, lo- in losing direct contact, in losing collaboration and I think this COVID was a, is a very great proof of concept that things work and at the moment where, where you have trust uh, between individuals, at the moment where uh, you ensure transparency in the communication and you ensure that everyone is working towards the right objectives, the right priority, and everyone connects with the vision of the company, then things work. And and you, you don't have to be sitting next to each other to make uh, great things happening
0: yeah I totally agree. What is your opinion on how the future of work is going to develop on a uh, a bit more global level? I suppose not only uno because there's quite a lot of debate between the pros and cons of uh, working remote, but uh, the reality is that we won't go back to um, to the normality of you know working nine to six even for uh, for traditional companies, and uh, one big argument was that now everybody is feeling like they really need connection, human connection, because we're massively isolated. So this working from home is not remote working; it's really you're stuck at home. It's not your choice. It's not that you're uh, in a space where you you can always be comfortable working from home. Uh, but then again, getting people back to the office would be like a balloon, right? Uh, a great hype for the first couple of weeks, but then tasting this uh, sort of more autonomy and freedom might also make people more conscious of uh, wanting to to alternate between being in a office and being in whatever space they want because most of the work we can do digital. So um, I'm wondering what your opinion is on, on how the future of work will evolve.
1: Yeah, so I just would like to, for for the sake of the discussion that we always remind ourselves that when when we're talking about uh, the future of work, most of the time we're talking um, about the ecosystem we're in, basically um, the startup ecosystem, the digital product, and and maybe a few hardware connected product ecosystem and so on. But we shouldn't forget, first of all, um, that not every work can be done remote. And actually most of the work even if in a in a transforming society and and transforming um, work work landscape kind of, uh, there are, there are still plenty of jobs that, that you cannot do remote. Um, and I think we shouldn't forget about about those people. You know, like when talking about the future of work, um, this is not the future of the startups kind of. You know, um, and but, but but to come back to what you were saying, um, I think the key point is is flexibility in the sense that uh, I don't think this is home working or the office. Uh, I don't think this is working from home, um, which has a lot of, of cons, as you say, like some form of isolation and repetition, but also a lot of pros, like suddenly people can take care of their kids a little bit more, um, can uh, organize the time a little bit differently, and, and you're taking maybe a little bit more control again on your agenda and and how you do you want to live your life and that's that's very positive that um, brings a lot of positive things with it um the connection part that you were mentioning is is crucial we're you know human we're social animal we need to connect we need to connect with others um and especially in the for example uh, at uno in our in our company uh we have a strong bound um between everyone and and strong connection towards the company's vision and the brand and what, what we are, who we are, what are we doing and, and why are we doing this. Um so definitely we we're missing that up. Like right now, everyone would love to, to to see each other and connect. Um and I think in the future or in the post COVID, it is important to to acknowledge that and, and to ensure that you put the right um framework to make that happen. I think culture needs to be to be fostered the same way that you need to water your plants to let them grow. Uh, that's the same thing with with culture and and with this connection. And you need to uh, make that happen. You need to create way to 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 foster those those connections, and not only through through a camera, um, but actually create some form of of event, some form of design of your office, a lot of things that that ensure that people connect and 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 uh, create. Um, have this 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 bounds being developed um over time.
0: How are you guys supporting uh, the well being of, of your team, of yourself? It's uh, quite the adversary we are going through right now, and a lot of people are struggling with mental health, uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, which is quite new to some some people. Um, and we've seen also this like uh, it's very interesting because either people go into excessive overworking, like uh, I've heard from friends and colleagues that people tend to spend so much time on work and forget because they don't have this like uh, distinction between home and uh, work. And sometimes they write emails at three in the morning uh, or they completely can't focus because uh, they have so much um, yeah mental, mental toll um, that is imp- impacting their productivity. So how are you guys dealing with uh, helping or supporting the the well-being mental well-being of your employees?
1: I don't have a magic recipe uh, to to answer your question and uh, I wouldn't also pretend to be uh, to be a therapist or to be able to treat those those very very important aspects that you that you're mentioning uh, in the right way. Um, the, The first thing you can do is and when you connect with your colleague and before you start a meeting simply acknowledge that we are in not a normal situation. And maybe you can start by simply asking, how are you and how are things going at home before you start jumping into uh, the next operational topic you need to align on. Um, and and this, this is, I would say, maybe the, the most powerful tool <laughs> that I'm using. It's so simple, but it's just uh, connect with your, with your colleague, connect with your team member and simply ask them how they're feeling. What's their challenge at this stage? And, and another thing that I would mention, but it's not necessarily um, related to COVID or to the current situation. Uh, we're using a great tool in the company that is called PCon. Um, you probably have heard about that. Pecon is a is an engagement survey, basically for for users for, for our team members. They complete it every month. Um, Where well, we're asking a lot of questions about uh, basically different segments of their work from motivation personal growth achievement support from your colleague and so on and we're actually uh, in a constant discussion with our team member uh, and we're constantly m- monitoring and, and, and interacting um with our team members about their concerns and about their own development and about their own challenges um and this with with our people team uh, and all the uh, all team leads uh, in our company, we we're taking that very seriously and and reacting to this and engaging with our our team members on that. And it's a great tool to to make that happen basically, and to make sure that you collect information, that you collect data, and you have a platform to to talk with your with your team member when when you don't just uh, uh, stumble into in, in, into the the coffee machine anymore, but um, make sure that you you have the right tooling in place to, to keep the communication and to keep the conversation going.
0: How are you yourself dealing with your own mental well-being? And I mean, of course, right now the situation is quite drastic, but as an entrepreneur, you always go through ups and downs and to uh, quite a bit of uncertainty and stress and uh, uh, whatnot. And of course, entrepreneurs are not therapists themselves, but you still have to deal with the well-being of other people around you. So how do you deal with the well-being of yourself?
1: So I will answer you very simply here uh the key is resilience and resilience is a muscle and if you want to grow it you need to train it uh i think that over the last seven years we've been going through a lot of ups a lot of downs, uh and a lot of challenges and having the ability to abstract a little bit yourself from all these emotions coming in and coming out and keeping a, a constant base that you can rely on, uh, a solid ground, a solid inner yourself is the key to go through such crisis and as well taking care of others uh, and not be solely focused on, on yourself and your own problem and your own emotion. Um, so that that's that's a very important thing. And I think from, from my end, if I could share with you uh, a little bit more personal story. Uh, I think this is a muscle of uh, the resilience muscle. I've been growing over time, way before UNU. Uh, I've been doing always a lot of of sport. I've learned to win. I've learned to lose. Um, and this is a this is a very important uh, thing to to keep your ground and to understand that if your feet are solid on the ground, then there can be so much wind. On the top, and maybe you maybe you bend from 90 degrees, maybe you even bend from 180 degrees. But then you're gonna come back, you know, and 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 keep a, a certain way of of um, um how, how do you call that? Like to yeah to be to be able to to not let yourself influence too much by all these waves. This are this has negative these are negative effect as well, and eh? because it means that also for the ups uh you cannot appreciate them so much um that you might have been doing in the past, because you know that after the ups also the down will come um but it but it provides you the ability to also go through the down by um not losing losing your serenity and losing your ability to to steer um growing a company and leading a company is a team sport. And we wouldn't be able to do that with, without that amazing team that we have around us. Um, and basically, I would actually invite everyone to to think like this, that even if you are the one leading the company, even if you are the founder or the managing director or whatsoever, there is a, there is a very good reason why you hired those people and why you brought those people working around you. And there is a lot of added value of putting all these brains together and actually talking about the different challenges uh, that you have, because some, sometimes the, the creativity and the right solutions comes out of this dialogue with these great minds that you put together. Um, and this is what I would say, a certain internal re- uh, resilience and over, a muscle that you train over time, and then uh, creative solution thinking with your, with your team member That's the right approach to go through the crisis.
0: That's a really wonderful uh, perspective, I I think. And but it takes quite a bit of mental power to to make sure you maintain, I guess, that level of of stability or groundness, as you mentioned. Um, What do you or what kind of advice can you give to young entrepreneurs that are starting out? Uh, What kind of exercises or tools can they use to sort of start training uh, their mental resilience, as you mentioned?
1: So one exercise, like you know, if you if you read a little bit of blogs, you you will always end up to the two things like you should do meditation and you should do daily journaling. Uh, I'm not doing neither of these things. I've been trying many times, it doesn't stick with me. So um that that that's not the 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 secret tool you, you will get from me. Um what what I'm doing, an exercise I'm doing very, very often. Um and some some I think one of the most important fundamentals for certain stoicism um there's a a fear setting exercise so ask yourself from those emotions that that are starting growing in you and where you you think you will you start panicking a little bit then ask yourself what why what why do you have this fear and and name it write it down write write down like what is it i'm afraid of right now and start deconstructing it and really Picture yourself, is it really that bad? Is it really that crazy if that happened? How bad it is, actually? And that's the first exercise. And 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 doing that many times, take the time to breathe, take the time to analyze yourself and analyze your fear and name it, write it down, what, what you're afraid of right now. And while reading it, you will realize it's maybe not, not that bad and not that crazy that you think um that's that's the first thing to do and um and i believe this is a the, the major approach the major tool that i'm i've been developing over time to always ask, our, ask ourselves okay if that happened then what happened next and if that happened then what happened next and how bad can it be yeah and 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 when uh when you're building a company that there, there is many way where the how bad it can be will end up being and if that and that and that happen then um i will go bankrupt and i need to stop the business or i need to stop that endeavor um and and that's a very very valid scenario and i think you as an entrepreneur you should always keep this scenario uh somewhere in your head as a potential option uh it's not it's not a a a only positive way going up hockey stick and uh, and everything's fine you should be aware that by every step you're taking in one direction there is a potential way that it goes in the other direction and goes south and it's not always going up but at some point that this adventure could stop um keeping that in your mind is is good way to stay grounded and um and basically this is the, the, the approach I would recommend to, to, to do that exercise of fear-setting and to realize that even if the, the worst scenario that can happen is that you have to to stop this, this endeavor, to stop this adventure uh, that already by the fact that you've started doing this and for our case, by the fact that we've been growing that company for the last seven years, you've been learning so much that Already the first day was worth it, you know, like even if your company only lasts two weeks, I think there is already just enough value in it to justify the fact that you've done it. Uh, And this is actually more a positive summary that you should take of it as a negative one. And then there is no reason to, to fear that, basically.
0: That's great advice. I'm also wondering... Uh, because I assume it's quite connected to the, to this approach. How do you go about uh, sort of future planning? Do you think about quite in the long run or do you try to stay present and go sort of, Let's say one day at a time. Um, I had quite a bit of uh, young entrepreneurs uh, ask me this question because there's quite this feeling of anxiety that comes if you really plan too much and then things don't go the way you want them. And if you focus only on what is about to happen, uh, is this something that's also related to, I guess, the training of resilience?
1: Yes, I I think you but but my answer might be here a little bit more generic. But I think you need to find the right balance between long-term planning and and uh, short-term tactics and steering. Um, you definitely need a, you definitely need a, a north star. You definitely need to know where you want to go. You definitely need a vision. Uh, and actually, you need a you need a three-year plan, kind of at least. You need to know. What, what's the bigger picture of what you're doing and how it's going to develop and how it's going to contribute to make a real change. Um, but definitely as, as an entrepreneur, uh, you have to be aware that in the next six months already, a lot of things can change. Uh, and, we, and, and I think the, the situation we're going in right now with COVID is an extreme situation. It's force majeure. It's not planned. No one has that in their business plan. And no one has that in their risk register that something can happen like this. Um, and, but I think this, this stress out my point and what I want to say is that uh, when it's not COVID, it might be something else and hopefully not from that magnitude. But a lot of things can change. We're in a very dynamic environment uh, and you should prepare yourself for that. Um, and the best way you, you prepare yourself for that is to build up strong foundations uh, a strong uh a strong culture a strong team a strong positioning um take control of your operation of your of your core processes and 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 so on but allow yourself flexibility and 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 allow yourself build yourself options and when, when it's already a long time that we're not building a business plan at unu we're always building many business plan with different scenarios you know yeah you, you, you have to do that exercise of mapping a few options and it's not necessarily the most um the the, the most uh practicable approach because every entrepreneur is in some way uh, uh an optimist and and you need that form of optimism in the first place to get started and uh, to to even uh, get things going um, but this is important uh, going, going uh, in your one, in your two, in your three of, of your company to start thinking about basically controlling yourself and doing that fear-setting exercise and going and, and doing this planning for the worst cases as well, and mapping those options. It doesn't mean it should go this way, and it doesn't mean that is your favorite option for sure not. But having that mapped. Into your into your Excel or into your 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 planning your planning um, document, um, give you also the confidence that if things go south, you have a plan. You know you know what to do and you know how does it impact uh, the dynamics of, of your company. And you shouldn't let that just to your imagination. Again, fear setting exercise. Like not let not your emotion and your imagination take take the lead here. Plan for the worst case and make it tangible and share it with your with your colleague and, and your management team and the people you're bring, building that company with
0: uh so to wrap it up uh, i have one last qu- uh, question um it feels some somewhat counterintuitive to start building something uh in the midst of uh a pandemic in the midst of uh, such uh, um, adversity um but at the same time, there are also quite a bit of positives when you start a startup right now and think about solutions that are for, I guess, a better future. What advice would you give to young entrepreneurs that are sort of considering starting something, but they're unsure that, uh, whether this is the good time or not and how to go about it?
1: I think every time is the good time to start thinking about solving problems and trying to build up solutions. You don't need a COVID crisis for that. You don't need uh, anything, a- any external trigger, um, to start thinking about um, building a service or building a solution to solve a problem and and um, and make make the life of, of your users a, a better one. Um, every crisis, as the one we we we're, we're going through at this stage, is actually an amazing place to. To, to start being creative and to start being imaginative about how the the world of the future can look like, uh, and how you as an entrepreneur can shape it and 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 contribute to that to that change. Um, so, I think this is a great moment, but I don't think this is only now. I think every time is a is a great moment to to start thinking about that. Um, there are very valid concerns when when it comes to. To the access of, of capital, um, the, the, the the capital market, and generally the, the economy will, will definitely take a take a hit from from that crisis, and um, this is not certainly certainly not sure that it will be um, easy to raise funds in in the future as it might have been for certain company uh, uh, over the last years. Um, so I would. I would uh, suggest to every of these entrepreneurs to definitely continue and or start um, their thinking process and and start thinking about what they want to build, um, but also don't assume that that you will get easy access to capital, and think about a way to build up uh, solutions and and build up business model that ensure um, a rapid uh, acquisition of your first paying customers and. And ensure that there is revenue coming in the company, um, because it will become, in my opinion, very more and more difficult to to find people are ready to to um, to finance your your non-revenue making business uh, for the next five years without any proof that you will bring that that business to profitability at some point.
0: It's probably a great way to be creative around how to bootstrap uh, a startup and how to, uh, I guess. Um, look into innovative strategies of putting something together without just relying on on um i guess in like initial investments
1: yeah absolutely absolutely i mean um we're now like after after eight years we're a little bit in a in a different stage with unu um we 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 are talking more about processes and structure than we're talking about bootstrapping um but i i of course can only relate to what you're saying, since uh, we've been spending the, all the first years of you know com- completely bootstrapping and building up that 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 product and and that team uh, the most lean way as possible with the least cost as possible and and leveraging um, uh, a lot of existing things uh, for us to to move forward as well as um, as always finding smart way to to go around and 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 to get it done without having um yeah the, the cost or the time impact that would be needed from the normal approach, let's say. So big fan of that and and really supporting the idea of of, of bootstrapping and, and finding the detour and and finding a maybe sometime a, a very disruptive way to approach things that have not done that have not been done before or have been done in another industry that is completely different than your current industry. Um and this is what makes the the magic of the early days um, and, um, and it's a great, great approach to it
0: wonderfully put well thank you so much for taking the time to share, uh, share your experience your advice uh, I really appreciate it
1: it was my pleasure thank you very much for having me mm-hmm.
0: Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you enjoyed the content so far, you can support us by subscribing and by sharing the podcast with your friends. You can also follow us on Instagram under the Upside Out, where we share additional content and updates on upcoming episodes. See you next time.